Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet writers Matt Alt, A. Kendra Green, and Kent Russell. In their new audiobooks, each of these authors takes a deep dive into the intersection of geography and culture, and the ways in which a product, artifact, or lived experience that is grounded in the local can expand into the global influencing all of us. Listen in as they describe what it was like to record their audiobooks, plus discover the perfect audiobook to listen to while circling deeper into eternal torment. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Matt Alt, and I'm the author of Pure Invention, How Japan's Pop Culture Conquered the World. I wrote this book because I myself feel like I was transformed by my contact with Japanese products ever since I was a little kid. I'm of the generation who grew up surrounded by things like Transformer toys or the Walkman and video game systems. And over the years, it kind of started to form a picture in my mind that somewhere out there is this land of people who are making fantasies that so deeply appeal to me. So in a certain sense... I started writing this book from the moment I came into contact with those toys as a little kid. If I had to describe what it was like to record an audiobook in one word, it would be tiring. Very tiring. I love talking, but this is the first time that I have had to speak for such a sustained period of time. We're talking six hours a day for days on end, about four to finish this book, and that was a first for me. So I realized I had trouble pronouncing a lot of different words that I write all the time, but don't really have much opportunity to say, such as (laughs) anonymity. Anonymity. Like, we talk about this all the time when we're writing or reading, but I very rarely say it, so that was a tough one. I'm not sure that I would say that I am proud of this particular aspect, but one thing that I definitely want listeners to listen for and appreciate is that I did my best to try to pronounce the Japanese words in the book in a Japanese way, in the way that they would be pronounced in Japan. Because they're very hard to pronounce for English speakers, but I speak Japanese, so I wanted to kind of lend my expertise to listeners. Oh, there's no question. I wanted Samuel L. Jackson to read this book. I think he would have done an amazing job reading this. And I know, because he said it, that he's a big fan of anime and Japanese pop culture. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. Final Fantasy VII was a video game. And when it debuted in 1997, the world had never seen anything like it. It was the latest installment in a popular and increasingly misnamed series but previous Final Fantasy titles had been delivered in the standard, two-dimensional, squashed and flattened perspective of traditional video games. Final Fantasy VII was a different beast altogether. Though blocky and primitive by modern standards, it was fully rendered in three dimensions, a major technological feat for the era. Even more groundbreaking, it dared to presume something new, that a video game could have the dramatic pull of a Hollywood blockbuster. 
Hi, this is A. Kendra Green, author of The Museum of Whales You Will Never See. I wrote my book because there was a travel grant when I was in grad school to leave the country for at least a month. And I was thinking about where I would possibly want to go. And I got lucky. I've got a a history in museums and was writing about them. And a friend, when I told her of this problem, sent me, I assume, the first Google search result for museum and world. And on this list, there were 10 of the world's wackiest museums. And I noticed the Icelandic museum, and I wouldn't have clicked on it. It sounded, frankly, like sort of a sophomore institution. But in my life, I had met one Icelander. And when he had the chance to tell me anything I should know about Iceland, the only thing he said was, we have a penis museum. So that was enough to click on the link. When I realized the website was in seven languages in Esperanto, I thought I might be onto something. And the more time I spent thinking about it, the more I realized it's a pretty standard museum as museums go, even if it's sort of a wild museum when we think about the rest of the world. If I had to describe the recording of this audiobook in one word, it would be thrilling. Although I have to say, given the chance to say any one word, I think I owe it to a friend to say the Icelandic word, Einstock. It's sort of like genius and unique and this really special thing. In the course of this project, back in 2015, the first long essay was produced as a chapbook. And I'd been volunteering at a nonprofit called Reading and Radio Resource, where mostly I read the USA Today or various tabloids for a section called Tabloid Time on the radio for the visually and reading impaired. So I had a friend who had a booth, and when I went to record the audio essay, I realized how many words I probably wouldn't have put in the book if I'd thought about having to read them later. I try with my Icelandic. I really do. And I've been so lucky in the recording of this to have an Icelandic friend who's gone through to help me with each individual word there was a question on. But in the writing of the book, it was really important to me to keep Icelandic where I could and and when it mattered, that so much of the place has to do with the language, so much of the museums, the fact that they are museums is often a matter of language. So in the complete printed book, right, there's the appendix that has all of the museums with their Icelandic names and addresses. In the list of drawings, there's the Latin genus species, the Icelandic common name, the English common name. So I'm so glad that the Icelandic is in this book, but the list of things I didn't know for sure how to pronounce, or in some cases at all how to pronounce, it's really, really long. If I hadn't read my audiobook aloud, my dream narrator is somewhere between David Attenborough and Benedict Cumberbatch for his pronunciation of penguins. I have so much sympathy for that right now. It comes up sometimes, my friends like to joke that this will be made into a movie, and I always imagine it cast with Lily Tomlin or Helen Mirren, and if they would deign to do the audiobook, wouldn't that be a thing? And now, listen to a clip from A. Kendra Green's audiobook. There was famine, and the family determined they could save one son by sending him away. Or maybe they determined that with one less mouth to feed— They could save themselves. 
So they arranged for his passage to North America, a very long time on a ship. As the sailing date drew near, the boy was too sick to journey. But everything was arranged and someone had to go, so they sent a different, even younger son in his place. Relatives in North America dutifully met the ship, but when they could not find the name of the first son on the manifest, could not find the boy they had come for, and did not know to look for another, they went home empty-handed. Hi, this is Kent Russell, author of In the Land of Good Living, A Journey to the Heart of Florida. I was inspired to write my book by the simple fact that there have been so few native Floridians who have really tried to capture the state, you know, through a work of literature or a film or something like that. We have had a lot of representation by people who are perhaps snowbirds or people who have moved here, and it's always useful to have someone hold up a mirror to, you know, the place where you're from. But Florida being the state with the second least native inhabitants as being one of those native inhabitants, it just drove me to want to, you know, really not just capture Florida from the locals' perspective, but really to kind of turn the mirror back around on the rest of the country. You know, Florida does exist as this kind of product of the desire of the rest of the United States. And as, you know, a native Floridian, I thought it would be useful and fun to kind of show the rest of the country, you know, Florida from my point of view. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be either posture or heat. Posture because I had no idea that you had to sit so perfectly still and not even kind of wiggle your hindquarters a little bit for hours at a time. And heat because I guess I hadn't really thought that, yeah, a recording studio, in addition to being incredibly insulated, also has to be airless. So, uh, yeah, when, uh, you know, people talk about spitting fire in the booth, now I kind of get it. And I also get why all pop songs are only three minutes long. There were so many words and phrases that I realized I did not know how to pronounce while going through the process of recording this audiobook. To list them all would be a terrible embarrassment for me. But yeah, it turns out I don't know how to say uh, demur. I've always been saying it so it rhymes with manure, apparently. Gunwale is gunnel. And my father would be so disappointed in me as he's a sailor. I'm not even going to attempt to correctly pronounce arrondissements. Cast, I've always said, is cased. I think that's just the tip of the iceberg, and I greatly appreciate all of the fine people and producers and engineers who have been making me sound less like the rube that I am. One aspect about narrating my own book that I had never uh, given much thought to, but I'm kind of now quite excited for listeners to be experiencing or to experience, is certain kind of rhythmic timings and emphases that they're nearly impossible to convey in writing. In writing, you can use italics here and there, maybe a couple of ellipses, but that's lame. You know, when you write, especially if you're trying to write kind of humorously or tongue-in-cheek or, you know, something like that, you're sort of left to hope that the reader can read your manuscript almost like sheet music, but sheet music in which there aren't any real notes, you know? So I think one thing that I'm excited about narrating my own audiobook is that, you know, I'm kind of able to really put those, you know, 
different kind of emphases and jokey punchlines into more of a, the way that they were meant to be heard. If I had not recorded my audiobook myself, I don't think I could limit myself to just one dream narrator. I think I would need three. I would need three to represent the three distinct Floridas that exist, North, Central, and South Florida. So ideally, I think I would get Danny McBride to narrate the North Florida section of my manuscript. He's got that good-natured but kind of relatively quick-tempered Southern persona, you know, like Kenny Powers from the HBO show Eastbound and Down. And then for uh, Central Florida, I think I would have to go with the uh, rapper and actor Riff Raff, who, if you're not familiar with him, I think you just have to look him up because there's nothing that I can really do to describe him. His bonkers neon artifice would very much mesh well with Central Florida, I think. And then for South Florida, where I am from, I would need to get my man Pitbull to narrate that section because he can so perfectly capture the kind of guilty charm, charisma, and like oily grift of South Florida. I wouldn't say it's the last great audiobook that I listened to, but one of the best audiobook experiences that I have had in the recent past was actually on my walk through Florida during relatively calm stretches of highway. I'd be able to pop in one earbud and listen to something to kind of allay the total monotony. And the audiobook was actually a translation of Dante's Inferno because I felt as though that would metaphorically capture the experience we were having, just circling deeper and deeper and deeper into what felt like uh, eternal torment. I love listening to audiobooks while I walk, obviously, or, you know, when I go to the gym or when I clean. Anytime I'm engaged in a kind of, like, repetitive physical labor and I don't want to be alone with my thoughts for whatever reason, yeah, that's when I'll fire something up. It's not just simply escapism. It's also, you know, poetry, like I mentioned, or, you know, just something in which I really want to get more of a sense of like the rhythms of the prose and the performativity of it. I have favorite places, but my audiobook listening experience isn't limited to those places. And now listen to a clip from Kent Russell's audiobook. If Glenn's computer is toast, we are well and truly boned. Lose that hard drive and we lose what we've shot, sure. But we lose future footage, too, because what are we going to process it on? We have not the wiggle room in our budget for a new MacBook. So to calm my nerves, I jot this while huddling in the shade of a decorative sapling. I'm a freelance writer in my civilian life. This means, firstly, that I am a failure in the practice of ordinary existence. Secondly, it means that I get by on my wits. I make my living inside of language. What I can't control out there I refashion in here. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind the mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com/nextlisten.